Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. I'm excited today. I am excited. You can never talk about the Holy Spirit the way we're about to talk about Him as a you know, as he's, he's pictured in scriptures, and not have a powerful move of God, no matter where you're at. You know, the good thing about the anointing of the Spirit is that he does not have geographical restraints. He is not bound and limited by time or space, no matter where you're at. The Bible says there was a man in Acts chapter 14 who was just listening to the words of Paul. Paul did not lay hands on him. And now, I, I obviously, I am a, 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 an advocate for church attendance because the church is when we gather together and then there's a corporate anointing that comes on and it's, it's unlike anything you've ever experienced. However, we're, you know, God does not want to breed a people on the earth that are just looking forward to see pastor on Sunday so they can receive a touch from God and get through the next week. No, the anointing is not just for Sunday, for, you know, three hours on Sunday morning. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is reserved for us and needed day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The anointing is not just reserved for a church service. And then once we leave the church, we're no longer anointed. And we look forward to coming back to church next Sunday so we can get re-anointed. No. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20, you have, if you're born again, you believe on Jesus Christ. You are saved. You have a regenerated heart. You're no longer a sinner. You've been saved by grace. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The scriptures says when that happens to you you are now you are now uh, anointed you have an anointing from the holy one first john 2 20 the bible says in romans chapter 8 and verse 11 that the spirit of god that raised christ jesus from the dead if he lives in you and then if you read verse 9 it says if you don't have the spirit of christ if you don't have the spirit of god in you then you don't belong to god and you're not saved and you don't have christ in you so if you confess christ and you're saved and you're a holy living bible believing believer a Bible-believing Christian, you have the Spirit of God in you. So today's broadcast isn't necessarily how you can get more of the Spirit of God. You have the Spirit of God. It's how do you increase the operation of the anointing? How do you release that anointing in your own life? How can I increase the operation, the evidence, the manifestation of the anointing in my life? We're not trying to get more of the Holy Spirit. You either have the Holy Spirit or you don't have the Holy Spirit. There's not like Holy Spirit at 50% and then Holy Spirit at 100%. How much you yield yourself to the Holy Spirit in obedience, in the words that you speak, in the faith that you release from your mouth, how much you yield to Him in the consecration you have towards Him, in the time that you give Him, that's how much of the anointing that you're going to release in your own life. So how do we increase and how do we release that anointing because you know you can increase the anointing to 150 percent you can you can literally fill your car up to the point where the gas is coming out of your gas tank and you're making a mess at the gas station but if you don't get into your car and press the pedal and start up the gas and the ignition it doesn't matter how much of oil you have in you if you're not ready to get in and start moving then (laughs) all that oil is just gone to waste and god is not wasteful god is not wasteful 
God, that's why the anointing is like a prized possession and it's very rare in churches today. You, not in every church do you see an operation of the gifts of the Spirit. Not in every church do you see an operation of the move of the anointing of God. Not in every church are people getting saved, people getting healed, people getting delivered. So if you don't belong to a church like that, you should locate a church like that. And if you do belong to a church like that, you should never become familiar with it. You should never become casual with it. You should never sit back and see and, and, and just, you know, this is what is to be expected and I've lived in this all my life and it no, no longer wows you. Those things should continue to wow you and you should remain in an awestruck wonder of God and His goodness because I tell you the truth as someone who's traveled not for long, just for like four years, five years at most. I, I, in the churches that I've been to, and I haven't been traveling long, but the churches that I've been to, uh, and, and uh, you know, I can tell you that there are some places where it's easy to have a manifestation of God. It's easy to have miracles. It's easy. The Spirit of God, you know, s Sunday morning, when we do like a Sunday through Friday, Sunday morning feels like a Friday in most places. Other places, it takes three, four days to break through, to finally have a release. Because... For what reason? I don't know. But, uh, and there are reasons, and I'll get into that later. But not every place is as easy to minister in. Not every place is the anointing flowing. And not every place is are the people prepared to receive from God. And as such, the work of God is hindered. When you hinder, that's why, you know, for a move of God to take place, the Holy Spirit needs to be welcomed. The Holy Spirit needs to be cherished. The Holy Spirit needs to be um honored you can't you cannot you know set up your church in a way where nobody's allowed you know there's places like this even in pentecostal denominations there are places where you can't speak in tongues in the service there are places where you can't lay hands on the sick in the service there are places where i you know i've been to preach and then i know others who've gone to preach at churches that the pastor will literally meet them before they go out to preach and tell them that you're not to preach about healing. You're not to talk about the Holy Spirit or His gifts. You're not to speak in tongues or encourage others to speak in tongues. And so as a minister who's literally told by God, as you go, as you go, these signs will follow. You will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. You will speak in other tongues. You will cast out demons. You go to places and the pastor, the, the, the shepherd of the house is telling you you can't do those things. Then why did you have me in? If the Holy Spirit is not enabled, is not welcomed to move in that, in that service, then I am of no use. Without the Holy Ghost, I am nothing. Without the Spirit of God flowing in and through me, there is nothing I can offer my generation. Without the anointing of God I can do nothing I'm worthless I'm cheap there's nothing good that dwells in me even Jesus said without God I can do nothing Jesus said I can do nothing on my own initiative Jesus said without without the spirit without the, the father who doeth the works in me there's no work that will get done he attributed everything he did to the work of the spirit of god in him that's why if you study the life and ministry of jesus from year one he was the son of god at when he was incarnate he was the son of god made flesh he was a son of god at five years old he was a son of god at 20 years old he was a son of god at 25 years old he was the son of God at 29 years old. He was the son of God at 30, and he's still the son of God to this day. But if you study the Bible, he did not perform one miracle, not one sign, not one wonder was performed by Jesus until Matthew chapter 3. The scripture says he went 
to the river Jordan. And when he was baptized, he was praying. Coming up out of the waters, the heavens were open and the Spirit of God descended upon him and lightened and stayed on him like as of a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a dove. It's just, that is a representation. It's an illustration that when the Holy Spirit came on him, it touched him, it rubbed on him, it anointed him, he anointed him for service. And then Luke 4, the Bible says he goes into the desert. He fasts for 40 days, uh, night and day. Afterward, he becomes hungry. He breaks his fast. And Luke 4, 14 says he returns in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. And then... As was his custom, Luke chapter 4, as was his custom, he stood up to read. He had been reading at eight years old. It was his custom. It was like his, he was like an altar boy at a good Catholic church. That's what he did. He got up and he read the scriptures. He got up and he served the, the, the synagogue leader, whatever synagogue he was in. So he went back to his hometown of Nazareth. He gets up to do the exact same thing, but there was something different because the Holy Ghost was now residing within and he had received not only a commission to go and preach and, and save and, and restore, but now he had divine empowerment. The anointing is the empowerment of heaven to fulfill the mandate of heaven. The anointing is the, uh, the empowerment of heaven to fulfill the assignment, the mandate that heaven has for you. And I want you to remember this, and I've said it many times in these broadcasts. You have an assignment from the Holy One. You have a mandate. There is a vision of God for your life you were not put on this earth by mistake you were not set here and positioned here out of time or in a wrong spot of history no you were born for such a time as this you were created before you were formed in your mother's womb God said I knew you and I appointed you and I chose you and I have a mission for you there's a job for you to do you're not saved to sit you're saved to get to work you're not saved to warm up a church pew you are saved to get to work you are saved not by works, but when you get saved, you're saved to get to, to get to work. That's why the scripture says in Revelations chapter 1 through 3, when Jesus was telling John to write to the pastors of the churches, the seven churches, he kept on saying, he started his message out by saying, I know your works. I know your works. So all those preachers that say, how many of you know, when we get saved, bless God, it doesn't matter what we do, one day we'll receive a crown of glory. No, the scripture says, I know your works. Jesus said to the church of Ephesus I know your works I know that you don't tolerate evil men and, and, and false apostles I know that you have kept holy in, in, in doing my work you're always attending to my work however he said something you've left your first love and if you don't return to your first love if you don't return to the way you used to see me the way you used to read your Bible the way you used to fast and pray I'm going to come and snuff out the lampstand and I'm going to put it somewhere else he tells another church the Laodicean church I know your works and that you're not hot nor cold you're lukewarm you're in and out and as such i will vomit you out of my mouth so jesus the bible says in first corinthians chapter or second corinthians 5 and verse 10 we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ to give an account of the works that we do in the flesh this is not me trying to tell you that if you don't work you're not you're not ever going to get saved we're not working for salvation we recognize we've been saved and i'm telling you if 
if you understand what you've been saved from, it will not take long before you start getting to work and helping others. Because look at that Mark, Mark chapter 5, the gathering demoniac. The scripture says he had over 2,000 demons in him. When Jesus set him free, when he could not be set free, you got to see yourself as that. Some people read that story and they say, well, he was really bad and I wasn't so bad. No, you were just as bad. You might not have been demon possessed, but before you came to Christ, you were dirty, broken, distorted, contorted, nothing good dwelt in you. There was nothing in the natural that you could have done to redeem your own soul. We were helpless without God, without God, uh, the covenants of God, foreigners to the promises of God, without hope in this world. We were dead in our sins. According to the trespasses of our, of our sins, the Bible says we walked according to the lusts of our own flesh. But God, but God, I'm here to tell you today, you might feel like that right now. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you're hearing this for the very first time and you think, man, there's no way God would ever love me. I'm here to tell you, but God, God being rich in mercy because of his great love that he has for you. God's not angry at you. God's not trying to get a lightning bolt out of heaven and just strike you dead the moment you slip up. No, God loves you. He loves you so much. He didn't send an angel to redeem you. He loves you so much. He didn't send money to buy you back. Money couldn't do the trick. He sent the, his only begotten son who lived a sinless, perfect life. 33 and a half years died a death that we should have died so that we can now live the life that we could never live on our own. But God being rich in mercy, he raised you up with Christ. He made you alive in Christ Jesus. We were dead, but now we're alive. When you start to realize that I was lost, but now I'm found. When you start to realize I was dead, but now I live. I was in judgment, but I've passed out of judgment into freedom. I've passed out of bondage into liberty. I've passed out of sickness into health. I've passed out of the wickedness of this world into the righteousness of God. I've passed out of the dominion of darkness, and now I'm I am a child of God. I'm God's very own child. I've been bought by his blood, redeemed, and the redemption of my soul was costly. Now you're going to have something in you to serve God relentlessly. It's not going to take long when you truly understand that. It's like Jesus when that woman came to him when he was sitting at the house of the Pharisee and she began to wash his feet with her hair and the tears of her eyes. And the Bible says the Pharisee spoke, well, he spoke in his heart and said, man, if this guy knew what kind of sinner this one was, he wouldn't let her do these things. Jesus answered the Pharisee by the word of knowledge and said, hey, listen to me. Uh, do, you, do you think you're, <laughs> who, who do you think is going to love more? Who, who do you think is going to love more? The one to whom 500 talents of gold is forgiven of, uh, of debt? If he had like $500 million of debt or the guy who had $5,000 of debt? Who do you think is going to love more? Who do you think is going to be more grateful? And he said, well, I suppose the one who had $500 million of debt. And the Pharisee, and he spoke that. Jesus said, you've answered well. This one, though she sinned much, has been forgiven of much, and now she loves much. And then people read that story, and they say, well, you see, that's why some people, they have a radical story for Christ. Uh, their testimony is so radical, and that's why they're so radical when they preach. That's why TJ screams when he preaches. It's because he's got such a great testimony, and I, I have a moderate testimony, so that's why I'm a more moderate voice and tone of voice. That is such stupidity. That is not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, you, Mr. Pharisee, 
You're so blinded, you think that your own goodness is going to give you admission into heaven. You think that your own good deeds is what is going to give you favor with God. This one understands, as sinful as she was, she understands that there is nothing. There's no, she could work until... Uh, she's got no more life in her. There's not going to be enough money to buy her way into heaven. Because she recognized her depravity, she now loved the gospel that much more. Because the Pharisee thought he was good and didn't recognize his utter depravity without God, he did not love much. That's not a story for us to look on and say, well, she was a prostitute, so ultimately, you know, that's why she had such a conversion. No, it's for us to see that we were just, we were in the same boat as her. No matter if you were a church attendee your whole life but you never were saved you just went out of religious duty or if you were on the street selling drugs we all fit into that category all had fallen short of the glory of God all had fallen short all were cut off all were together become corrupt but God laid the iniquity of us all upon him when you realize that there will be much love and when there's much love there's much service you serve what you love that is a law that is a spiritual law and that is a natural law when you love something you'll serve that person when I I love my wife I serve my wife I love God I serve God oh you'll give time to what you love if you love football, you're going to serve. You're, you're going you're gonna to give time towards football. You understand what I'm saying? So what you love, you're going to direct attention towards and you're going to serve and you're going to focus on, you're going to give time, energy and resources, money, finances, everything. That's why Jesus said, no man can love two masters. You're either going to love one or hate the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There are people who they work so hard 50, 65 years, 70 years to save up for 20 years of retirement so that they can eat and be merry and have their soul be at ease and be at rest. And then they give no attention to the eternal things of God. They don't take one day to fast. They don't have any concern in building up the anointing in them. And as such, Jesus said on that day, when the fire of God tests the works that we've set up on the earth, there will be some people whose works will be standing firm. There'll be gold, silver, and precious stone. They'll receive a reward from heaven. And then it says, these, Paul's not talking to sinners here. He's talking to Christians that are carnal. And he says there's going to be others who are going to appear before God and their works are going to be burnt up. And they will be saved, yet so is through fire. Meaning they're going to get saved um, because they, they confess Christ. But their works, what they've stored up, you know, you have one life to live, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. All, everything, everything, Everything else is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And as such, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to set my mind on things above. That's why you need the anointing. The anointing is like a, a, a spiritual compass that continuously is pointing you towards God. It continuously navigates you towards God. It enables you to please God in the way, in the way you act, in the thoughts you think, in the words you speak, so that you're not going off course. Christians that are constantly in and out and they have no solid foundation they have no ability to find to just like plant their feet in the ground is because they have no anointing i'm not saying um 
I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm saying they have no, <laughs> they have no anointing. They have no power. Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, in his anointing. His anointing enables you to live for God. His anointing enables you to be on fire for God. His anointing enables you to keep the course, to turn your eyes away from vanity, to turn your eyes away from the temporal. Paul said, we look not on the things which are temporal, which are passing away, but we look on the things which are eternal eternal where Christ is at the right hand of God hallelujah so now what does the anointing do Luke chapter 4 uh, Isaiah chapter 61 Isaiah 61 and verse 1 the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach so I want you to know Number one is the anointing is not given to you so you can just, you know, have goosebumps in a service and the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And it's not given to you so you can fall over and then get back up and nothing changes. The anointing comes to do. The anointing comes to when there's an appointing, when there is a commission, the anointing is there. People want the anointing, but they don't want to do anything for God. They're lazy, they're idle, they're stagnant, they don't want to lift a finger for the gospel, and they're asking God for an anointing so they can feel good. God does not want people to be cups that are filled up to the brim and just enough for themselves. No, the anointing, the oil. David said, my cup runneth oil over with fresh oil. God wants you to be an overflow of the anointing on the earth so that others can come and taste and see that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever where there's too many believers that are like umbrellas rather than being funnels where to be a funnel not an umbrella you know there's some churches that that's exactly what happens the moment the anointing starts to kick in they like close down the service they don't know what to do they get awkward you know someone starts to manifest whatever happens someone starts to give out a message in tongues and then they just well you know you might have seen some things today that you're not used to we're going to close the service right now they don't even know what to do with it that's why i said before the anointing will never function in a church or in a place in an environment where he's not honored where he's not cherished and where he's not welcome there are churches that their whole service is set up literally to avoid, to avoid this type of stuff from happening. There are churches that are so structured in their schedule, literally to the minute you have, uh, music starts at 9.30, music, musicians you have till 9, 9.53, then we're going to have someone come up, do an announcement from 9.53 to 9.56, not a minute later. After the announcement, you know, break up the worship service pretty much. After the announcement, we'll do one or two more songs. That has to end maximum by 10 o'clock. By 10.01, I'll be up. Pastor will come. He'll give, up, uh, he'll give the introduction. And by 10.31, we'll be done with that. We'll have 10.33. Uh, 10.31 to 10.33 altar call. And then from 10.33 onwards... Uh, 1033 onwards, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll dismiss. And if people want to stay at the altar, they can. But I, I, you know, I have a roast in the oven. I mean, the Holy Spirit looks at your order of service, which you've never deviated from one day in your life. And he's going to say, well, clearly I have no space. I have no, I have no ability to, to invade. I don't want to interrupt. The Holy Ghost is not going to interrupt. The Holy Spirit is not going to go where he's not wanted. He is going to go where he has not a uh, um, uh, a guest seat he wants the seat of honor if you would understand i mean the church has deviated from this by and large from the uh 
from the early church blueprint. The early church did not just do things so that they can have programs set up and entertain people waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. The early church was not set up so that people can come in and, and um, you know, have community. And, the, you know, as they gather together, we can break bread and keep on doing the Lord's Supper. And, um, you know, we'll have fellowship with one another. And, and, you know, people can network with one another. Business owners can network with others. And, you know, if you're a real estate agent, good, good, good idea to be part of a church because you can get a lot of clients doing that. That's not what the early church was like. The early church... I mean, look at the time, the, the, the schedules that these services had. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira come in. Peter, well, it's Ananias first. They had lied to the Holy Ghost in that how much they had given in the offering. Peter looks at Ananias and says, you didn't lie to, to me, you lied to God. And the feet of those that are going to carry your body out are there. Drops dead. Then it's like, who knows? It's, I think it says like that afternoon, several hours later, they're still having church. How do we know that? Because Sapphira walks into the same meeting, Peter's still preaching. And he says, hey, Sapphira, nice of you to join us. Would you stand up in the aisle? Let me ask you the same question I asked your husband. She answered the same way, and she ended up dropping dead. So you could see that those church services were not structured for the North American suburban Christian where it's like in by nine, out, hour of power, out by ten. Because uh, we have lunch appointments and also Super Bowl Sundays this Sunday. Or, um, you know, it's week 15 of the NFL and it starts at 1 p.m. Eastern. So I got to be home before that. Well, I'm not going to church this weekend. I, I have other, you know, there's an important uh, soccer game on. Or there's an important football game on. You know, people, <laughs> they didn't structure their services like that. The early church, the Bible says they were all together in one accord and were tarrying. And then the Holy Ghost fell and they were all given tongues of fire and began to speak the word of God in boldness. So understand, number one is the anointing comes on you to do, to do. And if you're not interested to do, then you shouldn't be interested and there should be no reason to ask for more of the anointing. What is the anointing? To preach the good tidings to the poor. The anointing enables you to preach, to be successful in your evangelistic efforts. Number two, I mean Acts chapter 1 verse 8. The Bible says the Holy Ghost, when He comes on you, He will what? Make you effective witnesses for me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Effective witnesses. Well, what's a witness? When you call a witness in court, what does a witness do? He provides evidence or proof or testimony. So without the Holy Spirit, we have no proof of what we're saying is actually true. It takes the Holy Spirit to provide evidence. That's why Jesus in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, the Bible says, He by many infallible proofs, He by many infallible proofs proved His resurrection. Well, if Jesus needed infallible proofs by the Spirit to prove His resurrection after He had raised from the dead, how much more shall we have need of the Holy Ghost to have infallible proofs proving that the message of the cross is not foolishness, but it is the wisdom of God and that our God is truly alive and well today. So we need, we, need him to, we need the anointing to preach the gospel. Number two, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. The anointing is what heals broken hearts. There was a lady just last week. I was going to get food. 
And uh, I felt to ask her how her business was doing. And she said, you know, considering all things, we're doing all right. But not every other restaurant is doing as well as we're doing. So, you know, I thank God for that. And I just, she, she, she ended up going on to say, well, do you, I just hope this thing will be over soon. You think it'll be over soon? And I said, do you want to know my opinion? This whole thing has been over. People have been prolonging it because of greed and corruption. And she looked at me straight in the eye with desperation in her eye and an intense gaze. And she said, do you honestly think that people would do that? Would be twisted enough to prolong this thing because of greed and corruption? Do you honestly think that there are people who have it in them to do that? And I said, I don't just think. I looked at her and I said, Jesus said this would happen. Jesus said there would be a shaking on the earth. And at the heavens, the earth, and everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But he said, I've come to bring a kingdom that will never be shaken. The only place you'll have peace is in the, is, is in the, is covenant with God, is when you're in, in, um, right standing with God. And I said, have you ever given your life to Jesus? And I led her in the sinner's prayer. I prayed for her. And her, she looked at her arm. She got goosebumps all over. And she said, she was like tearing up. And you can see there was a mending of a broken heart because she said, I was losing my house. I'm, you know, she has no, she's back on her mortgage payments and she's frozen her mortgage payments with the bank. And as such, she, you know, she had a broken heart. She was stressed and heavy laden and burdened. All I did was introduce her to Jesus. And when I did, the anointing invaded her heart and got to work to mend her broken heart. And even though nothing changed in the natural at that moment, everything in her changed. And she said, where do you go to church? I said, right behind. I'm going to be there the next time you're open up. And so you can see, you can see, I couldn't, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, you know, I don't have a degree in Christian counseling. I don't have a degree in helping people out on a natural level. But what I do have is the anointing of God. And when I speak the word of God in the gospel, that anointing gets released powerfully that does what no man can do. No amount of pills and counseling could have helped her out. But one encounter with the person of the Holy Ghost turned her life around. Hallelujah. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison doors to those who are bound. Re proclaim re release to the captives. Isaiah 10.27. The Bible says in Isaiah 10.27. In that day, the heavy burdens will be lifted and lifted off your shoulders. And the yoke shall be, de shall be destroyed because of the anointing. People in life are not facing regular natural battles. Behind every battle, behind every complication, behind every chain behind every prison uh, door behind every circumstance unfavorable circumstance behind every hurt behind every sickness behind every calamity and trouble behind every distortion of the destiny of man is wickedness is demonic captivity and the bible doesn't say we're to counsel those people free the scripture doesn't say that we're just to keep them in prayer and hope things turn around for them. The Bible doesn't say that we are to provide a, 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 um, a, a reasonable way of escape for them. The scripture says the yoke, the yoke, what's a yoke? They used to put it on animals to tie them up to their chariots or whatnot. If it was an oxen, it would be yoked up to, uh, to the machine that would 
pick up and thresh the wheat and whatnot and do all, all the farming for them. That yoke was on the oxen to keep him, to keep him tied and connected to wherever the farmer wanted him to, uh, to plow the field. The devil had a yoke on all of us when we were in sin. When you served the devil, that yoke was too tight. There wasn't a natural remedy for it. It needed a supernatural remedy, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood provided an anointing to destroy. Now, not to break the yoke. A lot of people say that the yoke shall be, destroyed, uh, the yoke shall be broken because of the anointing, or the anointing breaks the yoke. The Bible doesn't say the anointing will be broken be- Uh, The yoke will be broken because of the anointing. The Bible says the anointing destroys the yoke. Well, what's the difference? If I come into your house and I take a plate, a nice fine china that you have, maybe it's been passed down through multi-generations, and I take it and I break it on my knee. It's in two pieces now. It's very easy to repair that. You can just put some glue, tie it up, and, uh, and that, you know, that'll repair the, the plate. That'll help. You can still use the plate. It's, it's, it's not unusable. If I came into the house and I took that same plate and I smashed it against the wall. And then I took a sledgehammer and began to go at it. And it was in like a million particles of sh- sharded glass or, 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 you know, porcelain or whatever else. China, whatever it is that 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 plate was made of. And it's just in a million different pieces. You're never going to repair that. You're never going to recover the former glory of that plate. Well, Jesus didn't come to break the yoke. Jesus came to destroy the yoke so that the yoke can never be reformed and laid back on you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. To proclaim release to the captives. There are many forms of captivity that the devil seeks to lay on men. One of them is sickness. The captivity of sickness, there's many sicknesses that are incurable, and there are many sicknesses that doctors don't even know exist. That's why they tell people, we don't know what's wrong with you, we just know something's wrong because of the symptoms you're, 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 you're having. And they try their best, but medical science has a peak. Science has a, a, a peak. Doctors are not infallible and inerrant. Doctors are not limitless in power. Doctors themselves can, if they're humble and they understand, they'll come to a point where they say, we've done everything we can do. So what happens when there's nothing left doctor, that doctors can do? What happens when the psychiatrist says, there's nothing I've done, we've been meeting for 10 years, there's nothing more I can do, just take these pills, hopefully it's going to help, and then you get on the pills, and year after year, you're still hooked on those pills, and they just go on to a deeper prescription, and from 50 milligrams, you're on 100 milligrams, to 150 milligrams, until you're at a point where you're literally having mental breakdown, and you don't even want to leave your house, what happens when push comes to shove, what happens when you're in a horrible pit where it seems like there's no rope long enough that can be let down to pull you up? That's why the anointing is essential. That's why I can't get along with ministries or pastors that treat the Holy Spirit like he's some cherry on the top, but he's not the main game. No, he's the main game. Without the gifts of the Spirit, there is no working of miracles. Without the gifts of the Spirit, there is no gifts of healing. Without the 
working of the Spirit. There is no word of knowledge. There is no gift of prophecy to edify, to exhort, to train up, to lift up. Without the work of the Holy Ghost, there is no peace which surpasses all understanding. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we are just a regular organization. We're just like every other religion. There's nothing that distinguishes us. There's nothing that is distinctive of Christianity. You take the resurrection out of Christianity and Paul said we are of, uh, of all men most to be pitied. We're of most to be uh, looked down on because we're just deceiving our own selves. If you take the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts, a lot of translations call it the Acts of the Apostles. That's actually a very bad translation. Uh, uh, not translation, it's a bad title to give it because the Apostles, they, it wasn't the works of the Apostles. It wasn't the Acts of the Apostles. It was better titled would be a better title would be the acts of the holy ghost through the apostles because if we just look at it as the acts of the apostles well then we can say the apostles died and the acts died with them but bless god the acts never died because the holy spirit came down in acts chapter 2 and he never returned there's not acts chapter 29 and the holy spirit left after paul died and we're just called to you know uh pretty much go to church growth conferences and discover what natural methods and means we can implement in order to grow our congregations. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible actually doesn't even have an end for the book of Acts. It pretty much ends with dot, dot, dot. Because the Holy Spirit is still the helper. The Holy Spirit is still the comforter of men. The Holy Spirit is still the one who destroys the yoke. The Holy Spirit is still the one that the Bible says will work wonders in and through you. The Holy Spirit is still the greater one that lives in us that is greater than all that is in the world. The Holy Spirit is still the empowering force of the believer in enabling him to walk like God, to talk like God, to act like God, to see the results of God here on the earth. And I tell you that anointing is coming on you right now. You might have ran dry. You might have let that stale oil sit and stagnate. But today God is emptying the stale and fresh oil from on high is coming on you in the name of Jesus. Ye shall be anointed with fresh oil. Your cup shall overflow. You shall flourish like a palm tree. You will grow strong like a cedar and Lebanon, even in old age, you'll be fresh and flourishing. Your best days are not behind you. As you grow older, you'll grow more effective. As you grow more in the Lord, you'll grow more effective. Your best results are not 10 years ago when you looked at the revival your church went through. No, God still has greater things ahead of you. If you still got breath in your lungs, it's because there's more. There's more to come. You can never know a better last year when you stick with God. Every year is a year of glory to glory from strength to strength and faith to faith and that will be your story in the name of Jesus Christ hallelujah hallelujah that's why the devil works overtime to try and keep you from a message like this because he doesn't care now that you're saying he doesn't care if you just stay saved as long as you don't get anointed because he can he can deal I mean he messes around with so many Christians there's a lot of Christians that are battling things and battling demons year after year. When God never said you're to battle demons year after year, He said, One year, hallelujah, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you keep yourself holy in the way of righteousness, you don't have to live a life of ups and downs. You can live a life of power, of victory, and of conquership because Christ said, I have made you more than a conqueror. By the anointing of the Holy Ghost, Paul said, I can do all things 
through Christ who gives me strength. So if Paul said that, through the anointing, he can do all things. What is stopping you? What is stopping you? The devil can say, you can't do it. You say, I'll be anointed with fresh oil and I'll get it done. The devil says, you'll never have that. You say, I'll be anointed with fresh oil and I'll have it. The devil said, you'll never be healed. You just have to do like that woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter 5. Hallelujah. She pressed to the crowd. She had spent all that she had on many physicians. She did everything in the natural to get better, but it did not get better. It only grew worse. But when she heard about Jesus, she said within her heart, she began to activate that anointing by the word she spoke and she said if I can just touch if I can just touch many people wanted to be touched by Jesus that day but that woman was the only one who said no if I can just touch I'm not going to wait for a touch I'm going to reach in to touch I'm not going to wait to be blessed I'm going to reach in for a blessing I'm going to be like Jacob I'm going to wrestle with God and, and I won't let him go until he blesses me there's too many people who say well I tried it and it didn't work who cares if you tried it once Keep on trying, keep on moving, keep on touching, keep on reaching. And the Bible says the kingdom of heaven, it suffers violent. But if you'll be extra violent and keep on moving, you will reach it and seize it by force. In Jesus' name, she said, I'm going to just touch the hem of his garment. And when she did, the Bible says, the hemorrhage of blood that had lasted for 12 years, that hemorrhage of blood, that, that insurmountable mountain, that incurable disease, that thing that doctors said it'll never get better when she touched the hem of his garment immediately come on I want you to write out in the comment section immediately immediately God created the world in six days he doesn't need more than five minutes by the anointing to undo the work of the devil and to enforce his perfect will in your spirit in your body and in your soul immediately the flow of blood was made well and she felt in her body that's what the anointing does the anointing doesn't just give you good thoughts and goosebumps and it gets you through life's problems. No, the anointing isn't given to endure life. The anointing has been given to you to blast out the devil, out the door, out of your home, out of your body. The anointing establishes your enthronement on the earth to trample on serpents and scorpions. The anointing didn't just give her good hope and good vibes now and so she continued to have the hemorrhage of blood for 40 more years but she stayed faithful through it all. No, immediately the flow of blood stopped and Jesus perceiving that virtue, power had flowed from him. He looked behind and said, who touched me? The disciples said, what do you mean who touched you? There's like 10,000 people around you. How are we supposed to know? Jesus said, no, no, no. Somebody put a demand on the anointing. Somebody didn't just touch me for the sake of going home and say, hey, remember prophet Jesus? Remember that guy? I, I touched him today. Man, I'm never going to wash this finger ever again. That's like the people who <laughs> the people who, uh, who go to Jerusalem and they take the sand from the Sea of Galilee and they said Jesus walked on this sand and so I'm going to put it I'm going to I'm going to just order a, a, a gallon full and just put it all across my house and everywhere I go I'll be walking where Jesus walked praise God I'll get more anointed like that people think there's a bunch of formulas and a bunch of buttons and a bunch of things you can just press and hope for the anointing to grow no faith faith is it she just said I'm gonna touch and I'm gonna receive when Jesus felt in his body she came before him fearing at the realization of what had been done and Jesus said daughter don't you fear thy faith has made thee well go and be whole of thy plague 
I tell you today, as that anointing gets into your body, the Spirit of God's quickening your flesh, quickening your weakness in your body. He's quickened. The Bible says it is the Word of God that is quick and active, and it pierces to the division of bone and marrow, the places that medical science can't even get to. That Word is getting into you, and the anointing is going to work, and it's reversing the irreversible. It is undoing the damage of the devil, and it is establishing the power and glory of God for you in Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. So the anointing is first power to you. Why should we want to increase the anointing? Number one, the anointing is power to you. Number two, the anointing is power in you. So power to you. That woman gets delivered from the hemorrhage of blood. You look in the, in the Old Testament. When David got anointed, it gave him power to then defeat the bear, defeat the lion, and then ultimately cut Goliath's head. So there's something the anointing does to you. It breaks off the chains. It breaks off the humiliating forces of hell. And it empowers you to, to live in the blessing of God. The anointing breaks off the chains that hell has forged for you. And then makes sure that you never fall back into them. The anointing doesn't just lift you out of one pit and burden and throw you in another. The anointing sets you on high far from affliction. So that you're no longer bullied by the devil, but you're the one doing the bullying. Number two, it does, there's power in you that happens when you get anointed. There's a different look in your eye. You don't walk around like you're some defeated, emaciated earthly reject there's it doesn't matter what your story is there's something that comes in you where you walk around with dignity you can tell you can tell when somebody's anointed and someone's not anointed based on the way they look in their eye the look in their eye and the way they walk and carry themselves you look at guys like lester somerall you do you knew not to mess around with people like that you knew and if man knows the devil knows all the more to back off you knew, I mean, Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts carried such an anointing. Lester Summerall said one time they were having camp meeting in his church. Oral Roberts was scheduled to preach the night service. But something happened with his plane. He wasn't able to make it. Or suppose, he had told Lester Summerall, I'm not going to make it tonight. I'll be there tomorrow. So Lester Summerall was at the front of the church. And they were worshiping, praising the Lord. They were in the worship service. And his assistant was standing right next to him. Lester Summerall looks at him to his assistant. He says, Oral Roberts just walked into the building. And he said, no, uh, actually, he had to cancel on us tonight. He'll be here tomorrow. He said, no, Oral Roberts just walked into the building. And it's not like they had text messages back then where Oral, Oral texted Lester and he's like, hey, I'm here. No, he didn't know. But he knew something different walked into this place. There was a presence that came with Oral Roberts. You know what? That, that's what the anointing is. It's the tangible manifest presence of God in the life of a believer. And so the assistant said, no, he's not here. And he, he still thought he was wrong. Well, about three minutes later, Oral Roberts walks in from the back of the auditorium and comes and sits down in the front row and preaches the meeting. These people had unusual ministries and miracles because they carried an unusual anointing because they did unusual things and they had unusual cravings and an, an unusual hunger for the things of God. So it's power in you. 
The Bible says if that same spirit is in you, he'll do something different in you. The Bible says that we have become partakers of the divine nature. God at work in you. And as a result, his divine nature is, 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 starts to be seen and it's manifest in your life. Manifest even in the, the, the way you move. I'm telling you. There's something different. You can know. I was in, at, at a church once and um, it was a conference in Tampa Bay and a man walked in to the auditorium and I was sitting at the front and I didn't know who he was. I'd never heard of him, but I just kept looking at him. I said, man, that guy is different. He just walked in. He, he went to the back of the auditorium and I, I, just, I knew there was something different about him. I knew that this guy was, <laughs> this guy's a preacher for sure. This guy, he, he's not messing around. He got fire in his eyes. And he wasn't even preaching that day. I, I had no idea who he was. Well, about a couple of minutes later, he's escorted to the front row. He sits down. And um, Pastor Rodney at the River of Tampa Bay has him come up. And he shares a few things. Turns out that's Pastor Ot Bashoff of South Africa. Never heard of him before then. I look him up. The guy's got like four 15,000-seater churches in South Africa. And he's a powerful preacher. He, he gets, you know, he gets me to shiver when he preaches. The guy's got a powerful anointing. And I, I just knew when I saw him, there's something different about him. Power in you and then power through you. You look at the lives of the apostles. The Bible says they went everywhere. And as they were preaching, uh, great signs and wonders followed the preaching of the apostles. The scripture says, and great power they gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Acts chapter 19, it was power through them. Even the residue of the anointing on Paul's body, handkerchiefs and aprons were brought from his body and brought to the sick, and the sick were healed, and the demon possessed were set free. Just by the residue of the anointing. Things like that were happening. So, I start, that's like pretty much the introduction. But I'm going to go in now. So what are some hindrances to the anointing? How do people lose the anointing? Or why do some people seem to be bad conductors of the anointing? The anointing is like electricity. So there are good conductors of the anointing. There's good conductors of electricity. And then there's things that put an end of the electrical circuit. It short circuits the whole board and it does not conduct electricity at all. Well, what are things that prevent the flow of the rivers of living water... That Jesus said would burst forth out of those who believe on him. Number one is pride. If you have pride, you the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you think that you're talented enough and have no need of the anointing, that's where a lot of preachers actually end up getting into a rut. Because they, they start in the anointing. And then they stop praying slowly and slowly. They don't fast anymore. But the gifting is still operating. And so they think because of their talent, they're still able to preach. Even though I haven't prayed as much. Even though I haven't fasted as much. Even though I haven't been, uh, you know, I haven't been pressing in as much or reading as much and studying as much. The gifting's still operating and they take it as a sign. Well, I don't need to do those things. Maybe I was getting a car carried away in those things. And so they start to forsake their devotion and consecration to the Lord, thinking that they can operate in their own strength and ability. And what happens is they burn out. It works for a little while, but ultimately they, they suffer loss. They suffer loss. You have people that think, you know, that, you know, this happens a lot in the worship ministry because they're talented singers and they start off very anointed 
and you can hear their songs. And it's not about them being a good singer. They might not even be the most talented person, but they, uh, there's an anointing on their life. And then when they get up to sing, you know, they bless the crowds. And then 10 years later, they start to rely on their talent more than the anointing. And so their talent might have improved, but the anointing's gone. And the results go with it. When you forfeit the anointing, you forfeit results. When you forfeit the work of the Spirit in your life, when you don't do what is required to maintain that precious flow of oil in, your, in this vessel, you forfeit goodness, mercy, effectiveness, multiplication, and, uh, and everything else that comes with it. And I tell you, there's a difference between an anointed singer and an anointed, very talented singer. There's a difference between an anointed preacher and a skilled communicator. A big difference. I am by no means a skilled communicator. I, I would probably fail every Bible college uh, homiletics course. I am not the most skilled communicator. I'm everywhere when I preach. I just go where I feel led in my spirit and that's, that's where I end up. I, my introduction is like this long sometimes. My middle is like this long and my end is like this long. And that's not how they tell you to structure your sermon. So I would fail classes. But because God's hands on my life and I read and I study, I fast and I pray. As such, there's a continuous flow of the anointing. And that, that leads to souls being won. A good service is not uh, measured by how succinct you are. You know how on time you were? You know, we said we'd have you out by 11 and we're going to have you out. It's just 11.01. Wow, I'm good. What a great service it was today, honey, wasn't it? On the way home, people were out just on time. Worship was just, everything was cued properly. We had such a nice, cute little worship set. And people think that that's, that's the measure of a good service. That's not a measure of a good service. If there's nobody being won to the Lord, if there's nobody being baptized in the Holy Ghost, if there's nobody being saved, if there's nobody being healed, if there's no lives being transformed, it is a waste of time. The synagogue in the days of Jesus, Mark chapter 1, they had many speakers that would get up and speak. And they were all excellent, skilled communicators, scribes of the law, teachers of the law, excellent lawyers of the law. They knew to the dot and the tittle exactly how to expound on certain scriptures. They were magnificent teachers. Jesus even said, do as they say, just don't do as they do. Because they, they had everything in their brain, but they had zero flowing out from within. So what happened? On that day, many, many uh, preachers got up to preach that day. In Mark chapter 1, there were many other people that got up to speak and read from other scrolls and whatnot. Nothing happened. There was a demon-possessed man who sat quiet and undisturbed throughout all of those, those, uh, those preachers that had gotten up that day. The moment Jesus got up, being anointed of the Holy Ghost, he opened his mouth for what? I think he read three verses out of Isaiah 61. In that very moment, the man who had st stood still and quiet when everyone else gave their skilled delivery of a sermon, the moment he got up to speak, that demon couldn't stand the heat and said, what have we to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? Have you come to torment me? The anointing is a tormenting force to demonic spirits. They can't stand the heat of it. They can't stand the pressure that the anointing puts on them to leave. And so they got to go. And the same anointing that draws them out is the same anointing that puts an end to their work. Jesus said, shut up and come out. And that moment, 
the man was delivered and they began to say, what new doctrine is this? What kind of man is this that with authority he commands even the unclean spirits? Authority is synonymous with the anointing. The anointing brings authority and the authority comes by the anointing. The anointing gave him the authority that when he spoke to that demonized person, just like in Acts chapter 19, I believe it is, the seven sons of Sceva, they were trying to fake authority by saying uh, the Jesus whom Paul preaches, we adjure you to come out of the man. The man in whom the unclean spirit was looked on them and he said, Jesus I know and I recognize his authority and I recognize his anointing. Paul has been joined to the Lord and is one spirit with him. I also recognize the anointing on Paul's life. But who the heck are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and they bruised he bruised them, beat them, and they left the house wounded and naked. So they didn't just fake it. You can't fake it till you make it. You'll never make it. The anointing can be imitated. People imitate it. People can fake it. People can uh, mimic it. People can try to do something they've seen others do, but it just doesn't work for them. There's a specific and unique anointing for you that you have to, just like I can't tell my wife, hey, do you mind if you eat well for me for about a month? I just want to pig out, but if you eat well, I'll still receive the benefits of your diet. I can't go to someone else and say, hey, do you mind going to the gym these next six months? I kind of have busy a busy schedule. And if you can just take up on my gym schedule, I know I'll, my muscles will grow slowly as yours grow. Uh, but at least I'll have time to do everything else. You cannot, you cannot rely or depend on somebody else to grow the anointing for you. You have to take the time. You have to be consecrated. You have to be dedicated to the development. You have an anointing from the Holy One, but you don't have to stay at the level of anointing you had when you were first saved. Ezekiel 47, the Bible says, there was a vision Ezekiel had of him being led out by the Spirit. And he was in the waters that were up to his ankles. And then the, the, the man led him out a thousand cubits further and the water was then up to his knees and he led him up a thousand cubits and the waters were at to his loins and he led him up a thousand cubits and the waters were passing over him and it was waters that he can swim in. Well, that's the uh, picture of the anointing, which if you study Ezekiel 47, he actually says the waters begin to flow from the right side of the altar. Well, Jesus said, when I go, I'm going to pray the Father and he'll send you the rivers of living water. Jesus is seated at what side on the on, uh, uh, of the throne of God. He's on the right side of the throne of God. So the waters were flowing from the right side of the altar, which represents the throne of God. Jesus came, ascended, ascended on high, sat down at the right hand of the Father, and then said, Now, Father, send the Spirit, the waters of living, the, the waters of life, to, to invade the earth. That's when Pentecost came. But remember, he started at the ankle level. He didn't stay at the ankle level. He developed, they, they moved on further, they pressed on deeper, and then it was at the knee level, and then at the loin level, and then finally at the waters that cannot be passed over. I'm satisfied, you know, I, I, I'm satisfied with the anointing I have now. Like, I'm not, I'm not angry, but I know there's more. There's always a step higher in God. I'm not angry with how God's anointed me, but I know there's more. And if there's more, then I know I can have more. God's not withholding it from me. The Bible says it is a glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search it out. The more you search it out, the more you meditate, the more you, pro you, 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 you diligently hearken unto his commandments, the more you press on into the things of God, the more that anointing is released in you and manifests through you. 
so that you end up becoming a river that cannot be passed over. You're literally swimming in glory. Number, number one hindrance to the anointing is pride. Number two is taking the glory. If you're the type of person that when people compliment you, you're quick to say, well, thank you very much. You know, I've worked hard for this. You just, you just told God, take your hand off my life. The Bible says in Herod's day in Acts chapter 12, he began to give an oration to the people and they said the voice of a God and not of a man. They were saying this guy is like a God in flesh. And Herod did not give glory to God and as such was stricken by worms by an angel. And he died within three days. If you're constantly absorbing compliments for yourself and thinking you're all that, then God will let you to see how all that you are. God will gladly show you what life is without his help that's what happened in uh, nebuchadnezzar's day he thought he he was the ruler of the kingdoms of men god said oh yeah onto your belly you shall go you're gonna be like a a beast eat grass for seven years and you'll find out that a man can receive nothing unless it is given to him from heaven and that's what happened Malachi chapter 2 and verse 1 through 3 says, If you'll not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name for the, for the blessing that God has given to you, he will, bless, he will curse your blessings and you'll spread the refuse of your feasts upon your faces. God said, I'll curse your blessings. So whatever you is growing in life will start to recede and decay. And not only that, he said, I'll take the dung. I'll take the dung of your feasts. And I'll spread it on your face. I'll, put, I'll make you openly humiliated. Because you thought that you gained possession of the land because of your own greatness and your own might. Zechariah 4.6 It is not by might. It's not by effort. Yeah, I, you know, I, you think this just comes to me because, uh, because I'm gifted? No, I've worked so hard to obtain this. Oh, you have no idea what effort I've put in. Not by might. Not by strength, not by natural talent, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Taking the glory is a sure, a sure indicator of pride. And then B, it begins your downfall. Pride comes before fall. And a haughty spirit, a puffed up spirit comes before, before downfall. Or before destruction. Number three, having a loose tongue will cause you to lose the anointing. You just let your mouth speak everything that comes to your mind. Being frivolous in the way you talk. Joking in an unholy matter. Coarse jesting, the Bible says. And speaking corrupt words which are not fitting for a saint of God. Sharing in the reports of this world, by the words you speak, you know, just speaking everything else, everybody else is speaking. You'll never partake of the anointing of God like that. You're peculiar. You should act peculiar and you should speak like a peculiar people who belong to God. For they overcame him not only by the blood of the Lamb, but by the word that they spoke. The word of their testimony. Be careful. The power of life and death is in your tongue. And death, not just life. So you can speak life on things, but you start being undisciplined in the words you speak. You can release death on things God wants life in, in your life, in, 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 your, 
you know, in your surroundings, things to grow. But if you're continuously speaking death, if you're always, you know, complaining, complaining is a repellent to the anointing of God. It pushes God's hand further away. They complain against the Lord and against Moses. And what happened? Fiery serpents came out and, and fastened on each one of them. Miriam complained against Moses and she was stricken with leprosy. So you can see though, a quick way to fall out of the anointing is to just say whatever comes to your mind. Just be loose with your lips. That's why David said, let a guard be set on my mouth and a door over my lips. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. So be careful. You can hinder the anointing by the words that you speak. Just like Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. By speaking the word of God into a situation, you can release the anointing in that direction. Well, by speaking the word of men, you can cause the anointing to cease flowing. Number four, neglecting the study of the word of God will cause you to, to either lose the anointing completely or it'll hinder the anointing greatly. The Bible says, give yourself entirely to this book, meditate on it, and your progress will become evident to all. How I love thy law, David said, it is my meditation day and night. For then I'm like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, and I yield fruit in every season. You become fruitless when you start to neglect the great salvation of the word. When you start to put, you know, Psalm 50 says, What right have you to take my covenant and partake of my blessing since you cast my words behind you and you trample on my commandments? The Bible says, he that despises the word will be destroyed. Despise does not mean I hate the word of God. Oh, I can't stand reading the word. No, despise is lightly esteem. And you lightly esteem it by letting it collect dust year after year. And every time you pick it up, when things get real bad, that's when you start reading. And you have to like pretty much sweep off three inches of dust before you can get to Genesis 1.1. So it's not just, oh, I hate the word. No, lightly esteem is, despising it is lightly esteeming it. Casting it to the side. Just like, you know, like it's some college textbook that you bought, you used it for a semester, and now it's just, it's used for firewood. The Bible says when you treat the word like that, you will be, you'll be destroyed. But he that greatly fears the word of God and commandments, will be honored and rewarded. The Bible says in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul, guarantees a freshness in the anointing. But whoever despises it will be destroyed. Then it goes on, in keeping his word, there is great reward. Great reward. And part of that reward is an increased anointing. And number five, hindrance of the anointing is sin, immorality, idolatry, having other gods before God, being double-minded. Engaging in a practice of sin. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says very clearly, 
That sin, when it is fully grown, it produces death and only death. It does not produce the anointing. Sin is a destroyer of men's destinies. It shipwrecks people's destiny. No matter how great a talent you have, no matter how great a a call that God has placed on your life, if you are enticed by sin and continually made a victim of it, and have not crucified the flesh and bring your flesh under daily to subject it to the desire of your spirit to have dominion over sin. See, the anointing empowers you to have dominion over sin. But if you're intent on chasing the desires of your flesh and you're constantly falling victim to sin, that sin will have dominion over you and the anointing will lift off your life. And when that happens... You need deliverance again. And when you get delivered, you got to make sure that you put sin away before sin puts you away. Make sure you cut sin out before sin cuts you out of the land of the living. So that's hindrances to the anointing, but I want to move on now to how you can, how, what are practical things you can do to grow the anointing. Number one, you must be born again. I think that goes without telling. John 3.16, for those who believe shall receive everlasting life. That everlasting life is the life of God, the anointing of God, the ability to, to have God's very own life and DNA flowing through you. So you have to be saved. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son has no life. The Bible is very clear. I said it before, Romans 8.9, whoever does not have the, uh, who does not have the Spirit of Christ is not Christ. So you have to belong to Christ before you have the Spirit of Christ, the anointing flowing through you. John was talking to believers when he said, you have an anointing from the Holy One. He was talking to people who had been cleansed from sin, bought, purchased of heaven, and redeemed by the blood. Number two, way you can grow and increase the anointing. Let him that is thirsty come, Jesus said in John seven thirty seven. There has to be a craving for it. There has to be a burning desire for it. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, Oh, everyone that is thirsty and him that is hungry, let him come and buy from me wine and milk. Wine is oftentimes symbolized as the anointing. The Bible says you can't put new wine into old wineskins. One of the hindrances of the anointing, you want to add another one, is religious tradition, old mindsets. It's always been this way. It'll always be this way. The Bible says, Jesus said, I can't even put the anointing into old wineskins or else the wineskins going to burst and the wine be ruined and wasted. So you have to, the Bible says that these people make void the word of God keeping to their traditions. You make void the power of God. You make void the call and plan of God when you desire and are intent and are resistant in keeping to the traditions of what has always been. You study in the Old Testament. They had, uh, they had built the foundation of the new temple. And the Bible says there were old men and old women that had seen the glory of the old temple and they began to weep when the foundation of the new temple was laid because it wasn't exactly what it was in the days of David. And what happened? They wept and wailed loudly. They were so caught up in what God had done, they couldn't position themselves to receive what God wants to do now. And you see that time and time again. You have people that 
they they enjoyed a move of God, and then you know God's moving elsewhere now, and they're trying to manufacture in the flesh what can only be done in the spirit, and the move of God ended five years ago, but they're still trying to do in the flesh what what can only be done in the spirit, and it just weans out and it dies out, and then another God moves elsewhere, and then what do they do? They criticize the next move because it wasn't like the present. The, 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 the past move. People that are so caught up in the past criticize the present and will never receive in the future. Excuse me. Let him that is thirsty. Many want to touch. But how many are hungry to go after? Like I said before, like Jacob, wrestle with God until he blesses you. Until you... You have that anointing dwelling on you and in you to overflow. Where, you, where you're walking like Peter, just the shadow of passing by is healing those on whom it falls on. Psalm 40, I mean, look at David. As a deer panteth for the water creek, so my soul panteth after thee. My flesh longs for thee. My soul uh, thirsteth for thee, O God. To see your power. You know where that craving rises from? When you start to look at the state of the church and the state of the world today, and then you look at what the book of Acts laid out for us, and you say, man, it doesn't look comparable. Something is wrong. Let me read something to you. Haggai chapter 2. Let me read this to you. If you're just joining me now, God bless you. Please share the broadcast. Help me out. And uh, thanks for doing that. Haggai chapter 2. And Haggai's always hiding away. Haggai chapter 2. I should just have a permanent bookmark on Haggai. Oh, there you go. Haggai. In the seventh month, on the 21st month of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, verse 2, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah. And to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, verse 3, listen to this, pay special attention, tune in right here. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? He's saying, who is there on the earth right now? Who are you that are listening to me that saw the temple of God in its former glory? How many of you witnessed when we dedicated the temple... And the power of God fell. A cloud filled the temple so much so people couldn't even stand to minister in it. Well, I have a problem when people fall when, when they, people pray for them. Well, you would have had a problem with the dedication of the temple. Nobody was even praying. The Bible says they were falling. They couldn't stand to minister. Who is there among you who saw, who witnessed that move of God? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Haggai's trying to tell them. Look at what we're seeing right now. Look at the fruit being produced. Now I want you to take a step back and look to the past revivals. Can we compare the two? What did they experience and witness that we're not seeing? And don't say it's because they were a special generation. Every generation is qualified. Every generation is entitled. And any, any generation, if they're interested in it, is able 
to see a fresh move. And not only that, our generation today, 2021, the prophecies of scripture, Zechariah 10.1, ask for the rain in the time of the latter rain. We're not dealing with just a former rain. What God has told us to expect to happen on the earth today, even God said it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow our expectations it's going to go past our expectation. And Joel chapter 2 verse 23 says, look at the former rain, how I gave it moderately. The latter rain is going to be the former and the latter in the same month. It'll be like a accumulation of the entire anointing of the scriptures in one generation before Jesus comes back. So I study past revivals. I study the Welsh revival. I study men of God. I, t- I look at... <laughs> I love Smith Wigglesworth. I want to meet him when I get to heaven. I read about how God used him, the anointing that he had, raised 23 people from the dead, documented miracles, newspapers covered it. When newspapers actually reported the news. Now you can, you look at Reinhard Bonnke's crusades from 2001 to 2009, you had 4 million people in a field. Did anybody ever see it on ABC News? You had the largest gatherings on planet earth happening in a nine-year span. And nobody, no news, not Fox, not ABC, not CTV, not CNN, MSN, none of them covered it. So don't let the news show you what's really going on on the earth. I studied the life of Wigglesworth, but I don't look at that and say, wow, Lord, you really blessed Wigglesworth. If you can just give me like a tenth of that, I would, I'd be so happy. No. Wigglesworth, what I, I, he was like, he set things up. But his ceiling, as I read and absorb his lessons and read of the revelations God gave him, his ceiling now becomes my platform to build on. Line upon line, precept upon precept, one generation after another shall build upon another. I don't look to Wigglesworth's life and say, wow, man, he really had a a violence against the devil and saw so many people healed. If only I can see it. I see what God did through him. And then I read that God doesn't show any favoritism. That if if I'll just devote myself and be consecrated in heart the way Wigglesworth was. Because he was special and had unusual miracles and anointing because he had unusual devotion to God. And if I'll be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit in my consecration to Him and my devotion to Him, I know that I can partake of that same blessed anointing. It's not like Wigglesworth had, you know, the Holy Ghost and we have like the twin of the Holy Ghost and the twin anointing who's a little less functional, but you know, he gets the job done. The same anointing. It's the same river. And then I can locate people that Wigglesworth impacted Lester Sumrall, Lester Sumrall's not alive anymore. He died before I got saved. Then I can locate people that were under Lester Sumrall's ministry that received impartation from him. And I can sit under what they learned and like a, what's been passed down and I can now receive through transference of the anointing, through impartation, exactly the same, that same anointing Wigglesworth had. You'll never receive from an anointing you don't sit under and don't, and don't expose yourself to its teachings. And I'll get, I'll get to that. Number three, 
Increasing the anointing. Number three is through prayer and fasting. Mark chapter 9, they brought him a man who was epileptic, demon-possessed. And the disciples tried to cast the devil out. It did not work. They brought him to Jesus. In like 10 seconds, the demon was out and the boy was restored back to full health to his father. The disciples came to him privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said, Jesus said, um, this type cometh not out but by prayer and fasting, meaning you have to build up an anointing strong enough to deal with, with this level of, of, of demonic resistance. And when you do, you know, there'll be nothing that'll be able to stand before you all the days of your life. But he shows, just like there's different levels of demonic wickedness, there's different levels of the anointing. There's different levels. And you can tell just being in Christianity for one year and in being exposed to five preachers, you can tell there's different levels of the anointing. There's some people, they get up on a Sunday morning and they can preach a, a, a beautiful sermon that is loaded with quotes from Charles Spurgeon and Mark Twain and every father of the faith and the early ecclesiastical fathers and they can go through the Nicene Creed with eloquence and elegance but there's no anointing. Then you have others that just get up and the very first words of their mouth is Father, thank you. And then all of a sudden it's like tears are trickling down your eyes and you feel the presence of God because you, you know that those are people who carry the aroma of heaven. That's what the anointing is. It's the aroma of heaven. It is when you glean off heaven and heaven rubs on you. And when you leave that prayer closet, it's like Moses. They could see visibly. The, the appearance of his face was altered. They, there's a tangible element to the anointing that when you walk into the room, demons bow out, th things change. The environment is morphed into an environment conducive for miracles that's what I want I don't want to preach in the flesh I don't want people you know what the worst worst thing a preacher can hear after he, he preaches is I'll tell you anyone who really hungers for the things of God the worst thing the worst thing a preacher can hear is that was a great sermon brother TJ I I, I it, that drives me to pray and fast more than ever before. I don't want to deliver good sermons. I want to preach hell out of the churches that I'm in. I want to preach hell out of the regions I go to. I want to preach hell out of the provinces, the countries that I go out. There are people, Enoch had a boy, his prayer to the Lord is this, Lord, when our plane touches the ground where we're going to go and do a crusade, the moment our wheels touch the ground, let demons be expelled in a 10-mile re radius everywhere we go. That's what I want. I don't want... Wow. You really blessed us today. What a great sermon. All right, in dismissing, Father, I failed if that's the case. You know what? And I don't take it as a compliment. I don't take it as, wow, I... I just know God did something. And I, I thank God when I hear this. When someone comes to me and says, my life will never be the, be the same. When someone comes to me and says, listen, I was one step away from suicide, but something broke off me. I don't say, wow, you're welcome. I say, give God the glory. And I begin to lift, man, there's been services where the anointing was so strong. I literally, <laughs> I, just, I just walked out of the way. And people flooded the altar and without anyone laying hands on them. They were getting, there was one service, a lady got thrown like six pews back, six rows of pews back. 
and got up and a growth in her stomach left. And I remember in that service, I walked to the back of the auditorium and I just lifted my hands and I, I was in fear of God. I said, Lord, all of this is your work. All of this could be, would be impossible without you. I am merely your servant, your messenger. Does a messenger come and give the message and then boast about how great he is? Or does a messenger just say, I'm just a messenger? An ambassador doesn't talk about how great he is. He comes to talk about how great the nation he's sent from is. And we're just ambassadors that bring health, that bring uh, the anointing into a, we usher in. That's what a preacher is. We usher in, we brag on God until he shows up. And once he does, uh, he does the work. That's why I can't stand when someone does fall in the spirit and you can tell the power of God's on them and they're out for 20, 30 minutes. And then you have someone that comes and just lays their hand on them and they have to be seen. And we're going to have our prayer team just come and lay hands on them and, and, and just lay off. The Holy Ghost can do a better work than you could ever think of doing. Prayer and fasting is what breaks that free. Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To break the bonds of wickedness so that your light will shine speedily and that your healing would manifest? Prayer and fasting is what, if you were like a quarter-inch pipe and had a million gallons of water behind it, that quarter-inch pipe can deliver a quarter-inch of water at a time, of volume of water at a time. Prayer and fasting takes that quarter-inch pipe and expands it so that now you can have a flooding of the anointing of God hit that serve. That's what the anoint, that's what prayer and fasting does. It, you have a treasure in this earthen vessel, but fasting expands your ability to be a conduit. You're no longer damming up the flood of God's power. You're a, you're a broken dam. The dam is broken and the flood is released and God can reach his people. Number four, prayer and worship increases the anointing of God. The Bible says, in His presence is fullness of joy, at His right hand pleasures forevermore. And Psalm 22, 3 says, in Thou, o Lord, inhabit the praises of Your people. So the more you praise God, the more His presence is attracted to where you're at. And the more that happens, the more, um, the, the more it'll stick on you. The more it'll be evident on you. You show me a praise warrior and you show me someone who carries God's presence at a high level. They're like high voltage fences. You touch them and you get zapped. That's what happened. I was, I was in uh, Chateauguay, Quebec on the south shore of Montreal and a lady came to me and shook my hand. On uh, three days later, four days later in our revival services we were having, she came up to me and she said, Hey brother, I want to tell you, when I came to you at the beginning of this and I, I just shook your hand, I had um, glaucoma, and there was a thin f uh, film over my eye. The moment I did that, I noticed something was different. And from then till today, I don't have that anymore. I can see, I can see perfectly. Her eyes had been restored. I, I, wasn't, I didn't pray for her. She didn't ask me to pray for her. I am, I am given over to praise and worship. I, I, you look at my prayer life, it's like 45, 50% praise and worship. 25% I pray about whatever I need and then 25% I pray for others. But 50% is given to God in worship, in high adoration for who He is. 
And as such, I just went, I touched her. That's not, don't look at me as if like I'm by some great power or high authority, I've made this man to walk. No. It's because I've plugged into the source and as such, I'm a conduit of the electricity so that just my touch now is helping people. That can be you. That can be you. Number four, praise and worship. Number five, and that's why four, going back to that, if you feel like there's like demonic presence in your home or whatnot, one sure way to boot the devil out is to put anointed praise and worship. Not some stupid North, you know, a lot of North American music now and, and modern day, our generation lyrics is all about, you know, how hard things have been. Let me get something into your spirit today. Praise and worship is not talking to God about your problems. Praise and worship is exalting the person of God. Praise and worship is not talking about how hard things have been. When we praise, we're talking about how great God is, not how great our problems are. So any worship song that just, they get on the keyboard and they talk about, life was tough this week. You know, things keep on getting harder and harder. God, you never said things would be easy. Jesus said, come to me all that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So I don't know what you're talking about. Things aren't easy. It's because you're doing things. You're not doing things right. So worship is not about, uh, it's not a venting session about how much you've been through. No, it's about how great God's been and his faithfulness to in the past and his faithfulness now to, to give us present day victory. And you'll see when you, that's why the old hymns are awesome. That's why I like to listen to Bishop G.E. Patterson, uh, pastor of the Church of God. He went home to be with the Lord, but his, his worship is so encouraging. It's happy. It's happy. It's faith-filled. Jesus is on the main line. Tell him what you want. If healing's what you need, tell him what you want. And then there's other songs like, um, I know the Bible is right. I know the Bible is right. And that means somebody's wrong. Doesn't matter what people have said to you. Doesn't matter what the doctors told you. Doesn't matter what the report of man is. I know the Bible is right. Other songs, you know, you listen to them and uh, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It makes the blind to see and the lame to walk. Opens up prison doors. Sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. These lyrics... You know, a lot of them were penned in a time that wasn't favorable for the, for the author of those songs. Some of them were going through hell and back, but they didn't let their story dictate their song. God put a new song in their heart, and as such, they begin to, like David, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be on my mouth. It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's right, Natasha. Waymaker. What a good song by um, Sinatra. Waymaker. Promise keeper. Light in the darkness. That is who you are. That is who you are. So be careful what music you listen to. If it adds a sense of defeat and discouragement to you, Take the cassette or the CD or the USB and chuck it out the door. If it brings victory, 
and makes you to understand, I know all things are going to be all right. If God is on my side, he is my helper, then there's nothing the devil can do to me that God won't not only bring me through, but he'll take me out and I'll get to the other side. That, that's the type, when you start to listen to anointed music, that's the type of reaction it gives. There's a note of victory that comes on you that makes you to remember the promise. Paul said that God leads us to triumph in all things by Christ Jesus. I'm more than a conqueror. He that began a good work in me, he will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. I'm not going backwards and I'm not falling downwards. My trajectory is upwards. God's got good things ahead of me. He has good plans for me. My tomorrow's going to be all right because my God is different and my story will be different. Number five. Way to increase the anointing is get around anointed people. You're doing very well by tuning into this broadcast. Find other people that are anointed and tie in. Tie into their ministry. Be where their physical meetings are. I make it a point at least once a year to be in meetings with Pastor Ronnie Howard Brown in Tampa Bay because he's got a very heavy anointing, a very, an effortless anointing that's transmitted through him. So what do I do? I make it a point. I was just there in December. I go and I sit under his ministry. I, I, there are people in Africa that are obviously right now it's hard to get to. And even before the, this the travel horrors of the earth today, it was hard to get to. But I make it a point to, to listen to their YouTubes, their YouTube messages, their Sunday sermons. I follow them. I read their books. I sit under them. You'll never receive an anointing you don't sit under. Elisha received a double portion of Elisha's anointing. Why? Because he was the only one that followed him to the point of his departure. All the other sons of the prophets abandoned him. They thought this Elijah guy had lost his mind. What does it mean he's going to be taken in a chariot? Man, this guy really went overboard. Elisha said... I will never leave your side unless you do bless me, unless you do give me a double portion. And he followed him. And Elijah kept saying, leave me now. I'm going on ahead and I'm going to be taken up in a chariot of the Lord. Elisha kept saying, no, I'm standing by you. I'm going to stick with you. I love you and I honor the prophet. And as such, the Bible says you shall receive a prophet's reward. Part of that reward is the anointing that they carry. People think that, you know, I heard about, you know, I heard about Smith Wigglesworth and how powerful he was. Father, I'm asking you for the mantle of Smith Wigglesworth. Amen. And they think that that's going to happen. Like, no, it won't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The, the, the anointing doesn't just hit people in the head. The anointing comes, especially those on specific individuals, when you hunger after it. When you tie into those people's ministries. By association, you receive impartation. Timothy associated and received impartation from Paul, so much so that Paul told the Corinthian church, I'm sending my beloved son in the Lord Timothy, who is able to instruct you in all my ways as I teach in the church everywhere I go. And there's no one who's going to so genuinely care for your souls as Timothy does, like I do. So Paul was telling the Corinthian church, Timothy has been with me, and as such, what I carry, he carries and so whether I come or Timothy comes, it's the same. The same, the works are the same. There's another evangelist that I follow dearly. Uh, Jonathan Shuttlesworth. Evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth in the United States. 
I, I, I've hooked him to his ministry. I, I listened to his, I've read every, every book he's got. I've, I've watched pretty much every sermon he's ever given, even though he preaches a lot. I, I'm hooked in because I know where God's taken me. He's already on that path far ahead. He's ahead of me right now. And so, you know, that's what you do. Locate where God wants to take you. Find people that are ahead of you where you're at, from where you're at right now. Find out what they're doing. Find out what they've done. Stick around them. And you'll see that same anointing that carried them that far is going to come on you. And as they grow, you'll grow. And, uh, and then, you know, what's going to happen. People will come to you and say, man, you remind me of this person. People say that all the time. I'm not trying to be like anybody. This is what flows naturally for me. It's just what flows naturally. When I preach, this is what happens. <laughs> it, it's effortless. It's not a mimic. It's not a game. It's not a show. There's an actual... Jesus said it is enough for a disciple to become like his master. When you sit under a certain ministry or a certain uh, minister... You, you end up becoming like that. You take on its form. Number six, studying the word of God. Acts six, they were, they were leaving the word of God to, to serve tables and they were getting into a bunch of troubles as, troubles as a result. It was the main problem in the church, the book of Acts church. It was the first problem, primary problem, and the first problem that arose in the book of Acts church. And the disciples, the apostles that were given a commission to preach, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, were found neglecting the word of God. And as such, they got up and they said, it is not desirable for us to leave the word of God because they saw as they left the word of God, they also were suffering in results. And what happened? They appointed seven men full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom over the business and they gave themselves over to the ministry of the word and prayer. And as a result, the Bible says, and a great number of people um, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and multiplied greatly at Jerusalem and a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. So because the enemy tried to distract them from the word, because if he can distract you from the word, remember what Jesus said, my word is spirit and it is life. Remember the Bible says there are three things that bear witness on the earth, the word, the spirit, and the blood. The word and the spirit work hand in hand. Paul said the word of uh, the kingdom of God is not only in word but in power. But the power doesn't come until the word is sown. The word is the incorruptible seed that must be sown in order for you to receive or, or to reap the results of the supernatural. So the devil tried to take them away because he knew if he can take them away from the word, he can take them away from winning souls. But when they got back into the word, what happened? And a great number of disciples, a great number of people believed on the Lord at Jerusalem and multiplied greatly and so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed in the regions. So the word of God is going to increase the anointing and not just reading it for the sake of reading it, it's revelation. Remember, flesh and blood can't reveal the things of the, the, things of the word to you, but only my father who is in heaven. Man, I can go on for a long time. It's an hour and 41 minutes that I've been on. Thank you for keeping on this whole time. If you haven't shared the broadcast, please share it and, uh, God bless you guys. There's so much more that can be said. You can do like a 15-week sermon uh, series on this. But I find like when I try to do two-week, three-week things uh, in correspondence, oftentimes the reason why I try not to do those anymore is because I'll wake up 
Thursday and have a fresh word on my spirit for something else. So I, I don't want to be stuck in a series where I'm not able to like, you know, follow actually where God's leading me. And number seven, and the cost of the, anoint, the anointing is you need to walk in love. You must walk in love. The Bible says faith worketh by love. Without love, the Bible says, you are nothing. You're a clanging symbol. And the scripture says God is love. And um, he that walketh in love abides in God and God in him. So if you don't walk in love, God doesn't abide in you and you don't abide in God. The anointing will be formed to you. The anointing will never flow through a vessel that's committed to hatred, to envy, to jealousy, to dissension, to division, to sowing strife amongst brethren. The anointing um, will short circuit in an atmosphere like that. So you got you to gotta make sure. Remember Jesus said, if you come before the altar of God with a sacrifice, and remember you have a lot of people that have something against you, or you have something against somebody, leave the gift at the altar, go and repair the damage, go and reconcile with your friend, and then offer up your sacrifice, then it'll be acceptable to God. When you, you offer up um, prayers, and the sacrifice of praise, from a heart of hatred, from a heart of bitterness, and sorrow, and a heart of, 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 of division and anger towards people, that sacrifice is not received. God doesn't receive every sacrifice of praise. That, that sacrifice of praise is not received. And as such, you'll never go in the anointing. So that is how you can grow the anointing. And how do you release the anointing? Very simple. I'll give you one key. By the words that you speak. If you shall say to this mountain, the anointing to remove the mountain is there. But it'll never be released to actually move the mountain until you say to this mountain, be thou uprooted and cast into the midst of the sea. You change the way you think by the words you speak. Then you change the words you, you change the way you think by the words that you hear from the word of God. What you receive into your heart. Then you start to modify the way you speak. And when you do that from a heart-filled conviction of the word of God, that releases, that releases power with, dynamic power with God to shift things in your favor. So just seeing chains of captivity around your business is not enough. Release that anointing. Hands off, devil. I speak life into that business. I speak sales into that business. I speak multiplication of finances. I, I speak an attracting force on that business that people from all around the world will run to it. Bishop Oedepo said his church wasn't growing for several years. And he went on a mountain to pray and fast three days. Then he came off and he saw on his church there was a, a black cloud. And the Lord said, speak. Speak to that cloud for it to leave. If he had just looked at the black cloud, and, black cloud and said, Lord, I pray that you would just remove that cloud of resistance. No. Ezekiel, you see the dry bones? You see the death and decay in your nation? Watch this. No. You prophesy. Prophecy, in short, is receiving a command from God to speak and then speaking it. Prophecy is receiving the word of the Lord. And then taking responsibility and re releasing the word of the Lord 
First Thessalonians chapter 2 says, From you the word of the Lord has sounded forth. That's what prophecy is. It's the word of the Lord sounding forth. There can be no signs from a soundless Christian. When you release the sound, the signs start to take place. That's how you release the anointing. He spoke to the clout, hands off. Broke the power of the devil that was hindering growth in that church. And like within five years, they went to like 80,000 worshipers. Something, something crazy like that. So in the name of Jesus, I come in agreement with you in faith. Whatever you're standing in faith for right now, whether it be faith for finances, whether it be faith for healing, whether it be faith for salvation of a loved one, maybe it's restoration of your mind and soul, whether it be a deliverance from some form of captivity the devil's held you down in, in the name of Jesus, I come in alignment with your faith and I speak the word of the Lord over your situation. Those chains are being broken now. Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Anything causing you to suffer harm backs off your life right now for free in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Receive your deliverance today. Receive that breakthrough. Anything that has blocking your advancement, the spirit of breakthrough comes on you right now. To, and you'll lower your shoulder and break past invisible barriers from today onward. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. The oil of joy is coming on you. And those years of sorrow and those years of crying yourself to sleep and those years of bitterness, those years of depression and despondency, end today. The oil of joy. I see the oil of joy being poured out on your head. And as such, joy inexpressible and full of glory shall emerge from within. The oil of gladness, sighing and sorrow is dropping off your life. And from this day, a new song shall emerge from within your spirit. And you'll start to sing, I got just what I wanted from the Lord. You'll start to sing, he set me on a, he took me out of the miry clay and he set my feet on the rock to stay. You'll start to sing about the goodness of the Lord in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I tell you, I feel this is for someone. You've thought of, you know, I should get back to work. I should get back to this. I should focus on what, but you haven't canceled out. And the Lord, I feel the Lord speaking. This is what I feel in my spirit for you. The horrors of your past up until this, po this point, up until this moment, the things that have tortured you and the things you never thought you'd break free from, by the anointing that's coming on you today, not only you break free from it, but God will make you to forget the affliction of your past. God will make you, just like a woman when she's in labor, she has sorrow. But the moment she gives birth, she no longer remembers the anguish because of joy. The joy that comes on you from today is going to swallow up the memory of the anguish of the past. You're not going to forget your story. You're just not going to remember what it felt like. 
because of the surpassing greatness of his joy and power that shall come on you right now in Jesus' name. Be free. Free indeed and free at last in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're not born again and you need to get saved, if you're not saved, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God is not your father if you're, he's not your father by default. You being born does not mean you're going to heaven. Hell is by default. Heaven is an intentional choice you must make. And God voted for you by sending Jesus. But the devil voted for you in that we're all conceived and born in sin. It's up to you to cast the final vote. Choose life this day and choose blessing as a result. The Bible says, choose ye this day whom you shall serve. Heaven is a choice. Hell, after you've heard this message, is a choice. You can either choose to reject God's help for your life, or you can say, Lord, I'm extending my hand to interlock in your hand of mercy, fully expecting that you're going to save me, set me free, deliver me, and turn things around for me. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I believe in my heart you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. Turn things around for me today. Let old things be done away with and passed away. Let everything become new. May I experience from today your blessing, your goodness, your favor your strength as I live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, if that's you, just say amen with me. I want you to go on our website, salvationout.ca, and the first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out. I want to get something new free of charge. I want to help you out. Get a Bible in your hands, some, some messages that I've preached, and uh, it's going to help you out greatly. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.